0: From the Medical Republic, I'm Mariella Attard. Cervical cancer is preventable. It occurs mostly in women who are underscreened or not screened at all, and people with intellectual disabilities may be missing out. Family Planning New South Wales has recently received a grant to provide more support for people with intellectual disabilities, their GPs and their carers, to make sure they have the same access as everyone else who wants to be screened. Medical Director, Professor Deborah Bateson, joins us on The Tea Room to talk about providing cervical screening for patients with intellectual disability. Professor Bateson, welcome to The Tea Room. Thanks for coming on the podcast.
1: It's a pleasure to join you. Thank you for inviting me
0: know about screening rates for people with intellectual disability? Are they different from the general community? As you would all know, if you're taking cervical screening
1: tests, we're not writing that on the pathology form, of course. So we are reliant on some more survey data and, and, and feedback. We don't have you know national data on that. Uh, but what we do know is that this is one group who do face barriers to screening and so are an underscreened group. Um, so it's really important that we're able to identify those barriers. Think about how we can support people you know, to come into the program
0: do we know why they're missing out
1: and there's a variety of reasons i mean I think one of the one of the main ones is sometimes um, well, lack of awareness by the people themselves but also sort of false assumptions around you know sexuality and being sexually active by by carers by health professionals sometimes are not uh, prioritizing cervical screening or not thinking that it would be necessary for someone and not actually asking those questions so I think that's part of it there can also be you know obviously there can be physical barriers I mean people may also have sensory and sort of other other challenges which can make actually accessing a service difficult what kind of assumptions specifically are we talking about historically we we know that, that um, people living with, with intellectual disability or any disability, in fact, you know, there are those assumptions that, that people are not sexually active and so don't need things like ser- cervical screening, don't need information about STI screening, uh, and, you know, we're just not ask those questions. It used to be always about, uh, you know, I know in my previous practice, always about assessing capacity and ensuring that, that you know, this is obviously important, but there has been a real shift towards um, supported decision making. And, and that's about finding out what the patient already knows, uh, you know, being clear about what decisions the patient has to be made, and, and really, you know, supporting them to actually make a decision for themselves. Whereas perhaps previously it was all about making decisions for people. So I think you know, our responsibility is really about assisting. Uh, people with disability, and intellectual disability, in this case, to make decisions for themselves uh, and not to have decisions made for
0: them. Can you give me an example of what a consultation might look like?
1: Yeah, so I think there's a few things to, to really think about. I mean, first of all, you've got to, before the first appointment, it's really useful to, you know, talk with the patient or their carer and just to ascertain if they've got any special needs or supports that they might require, of course, uh, but the key thing is obviously to, to give enough time. So you need to certainly have a, a longer appointment time. There may be multiple issues to discuss. Uh, also, just finding out whether there's a preferred time of day, you know, when the patient's going to be more relaxed or more alert. Because, again, around that supportive decision making, that's important. I mean, what I will say, there's obviously it can be a spectrum of intellectual disability. And, and you know, really, I suppose what I'm talking about here is people with a mild or moderate disability, and again, where we can provide that support to make the decision for themselves. Um, and it may require a number of appointments so that's the other thing of course you you might need to just explain and demonstrate cervical screening in one on a model for instance Uh, give information easy you know easy English information to take away and then that can be followed up with a second procedural appointment and and I think again it's around ensuring that we're asking questions directly to a patient I mean we can bring in a carer Uh, and that may be a family member, a guardian, but it may be a paid carer and it's fine as long as obviously that person wants that that carer to be in there but it's also good practice at some point of course as we all know to to ensure that you can see that person on their own as well uh, to make sure that you know they're happy with, with that person being there and they may have other things to disclose and it's addressing any anxieties. There may be more anxieties, it's remembering that you know there may be a history of sexual assault or or trauma that we know that there are high rates amongst people with with disability of course and speaking in that you know measured volume and and speed and and constantly checking in about is there anything you know is it okay for me to ask you these questions because it is about with a cervical screening consultation we must make sure we do ask those those intimate questions we mustn't just just miss out bits of our consultation because maybe we fear oh it's going to be embarrassing or maybe shameful and we must make sure that we ask those questions in a way that's that's going to be you know non-threatening and, and not assume things. So when someone comes for a cervical screening test, we want to elicit before we do that cervical screening test Know, whether they've got any symptoms, for instance, which may be suggestive of cervical disease. So obviously, we've got to, you know, find out about whether they've had a prior history of cervical screening. Uh, we want to know uh, whether they're in a relationship. So that's a good way to enter into those more sensitive discussions. So find out whether someone's in a relationship or when was the last time that they were sexually active. And again, it's about getting that that term, you know, when you're sexually active, may not be easily understood, of course. So you've got to be able to, to ensure that you're checking in, make sure that, that someone understands what you're, you've said. But that leads the gateway then to ask about those more intimate questions, which are, you know, have you ever had bleeding after after intercourse? And again, you may need to be able to explain what that means. It's important to ask those questions, because those are, are red flag signs, of course. And, and when someone comes to you for a cervical screening test. And that's an opportunity to also ask other questions that you would ask your other patients around, you know, the risk of sexually transmitted infections, for instance. And of course, there could be sensitive disclosures as well, you know, if you're asking intimate questions of some uh, trauma or sexual assault, either in the past or even more recently. So you've got to be aware and all
0: of these issues. So just on that subject of communication, how do you ensure that you have informed consent
1: yes so it's interesting isn't it because it's it's a good reminder to me and you know, always you know whatever we're doing whoever we're providing if in this case we're talking about a cervical screening test we've got to always ensure that we're we're gaining that informed consent and that's for every step of the process it is breaking down those steps so we're going to do this first and of course what you're doing to gain that informed consent Uh, is to really spend that time going over exactly what's going to happen using models, using diagrams, show what you're going to be doing and explain why you're going to be doing it. Uh, And and it's really, as I say, checking into it, make sure that that person has a really good understanding and can reflect back to you that understanding of what's going to happen. So you really have that sort of two-way discussion that's about supported decision-making. You know, I'm going to be using this uh this implement here you know and you have a look at it it's a soft brush uh the person can touch it uh you know this is going to to be used and I've, got, I've always got a model of course and this is going to be used on the cervix and sometimes you may need to draw diagrams and again someone may need to go away have a have a bit of a think about it and come back later uh with you know we've got lots of resources at family planning for people uh with intellectual disabilities so there's good written information that appropriate level for them to to be able to understand what's going on and just opening that conversation up to questions as well so and again it's just checking in you're getting that informed consent before you start the procedure but then all the way through you know when you've asked someone Uh, to undress to you know to to be on on the bed Uh, and again you may be reiterating what you're about to do I mean we should always be doing this in good practice but this is what I'm doing now you can tell me to stop at any time Uh, and you know just developing that rapport is so important you're constantly checking in and allowing that person to say, "No, I had that consent, and now I'm withdrawing that consent." And the other key thing, of course, is you're getting informed consent for this particular procedure here and now. And if someone needs to come back later, obviously you've got to to get that that you know, that consent is is valid for this particular procedure here and now. You know, having a cervical screening test is just not just the procedure. So someone who's having a cervical screening test also needs to be able to give that informed consent for how they're going to get their results and what's going mm-hmm. to happen if, you know, they need to understand the whole process. They need to understand that uh, they can consent to being on the, the cervical you know, the, the screening register. So it's, it's multifaceted. It doesn't need to be formal, but it's just making sure that people, you know, do really understand the whole picture of, of what's going on. And it empowers them, of course, because I think in the past times, it was assumed that people, of course, wouldn't be able to understand all these things. There was perhaps, you know, in the bad old days, no point in explaining these, whereas, of course, there's every point in, in explaining yeah. very carefully.
0: You mentioned the carer. What is the role of the carer or family member or support person in this process? Do they yeah, have? Yeah, so
1: I think that depends on. Uh, you know, the, the position of that person with intellectual disability. I think it's really, I've worked in this area a long time and it's very clear that some people are very happy to have their care and that may be a paid care or a family member in the room and others are not. And you must make sure that you ask that person to leave so you can actually ascertain that. But absolutely, you know, many, many people and not just people with intellectual disability, but people absolutely, really want that support from, from someone they trust, um, someone who can be a, a good navigator for them, who can perhaps ask questions that they may have asked
0: them to ask beforehand. Is self-collection a good option in these circumstances?
1: Yes, yeah, so so in fact, in our um, study, I mean we 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 don't have a lot of good inf- evidence yet around this particular population group and with intellectual disability and self-collection, but um certainly, in my practice I've come across it uh, for, for at the moment as we know self collection has got certain restrictions on it you have to have been under screened or never screened and and you you know be um, 30 years of age or older uh, but this is all going to change of course in July of uh, this year when there's going to be the option of universal self collection um, so certainly you know it, it, it can in my experience uh, it, it has worked very well because in fact in that particular particular group, they may well fit into that under and never screen group, so they're eligible at the moment. So it's always, in, you know, really important in the next six months to still offer it if if people are eligible. And in fact, some people we know may feel much more comfortable and confident if the clinician is actually taking the sample, whereas others may feel they're making that decision to actually have a self-collected test. Um, there is a possibility, and the guidelines are all being worked through at the moment, but. To have a facilitator, I've certainly done it a couple of times where someone really doesn't want to or can't tolerate a speculum examination, um, but I've been able to facilitate a a vaginal swab, a self-collected swab. They've been actually eligible for that.
0: Okay, so pretty soon GPs uh, and people with intellectual disabilities will be able to come to Family Planning New South Wales for those resources. Is that right? Um, look, we're going to have to develop them over a few years,
1: but there are resources already for GPs and for people with intellectual disability already on our website. There's a toolkit for, for GPs to not just around cervical screening, but other you know, sensitive areas about uh, you know STI screening, contraception, about how to support people with disability. There's... Uh, Actually, quite a whole suite of, of resources for people and their families with disabilities as well. So, i would urge you, you all to go on the Family Planning New South Wales website, but we'll be certainly developing more extensive um, resources which are co designed, as we call it, with, with the community. Uh, with people with intellectual disability, as well as with, with doctors who work, you know, in general practice with, with people with disability as well, just to, to really optimise, you know, that experience. And it's all about that experience because we know that sometimes people can have a negative experience and that can actually mean that they don't ever return for another, another test.
0: Yes, yeah, so there's a bit of pressure on around that, isn't there? There is.
1: I certainly come across women where they have had that, you know, negative experiences. Self collection may be a very good option for them, of course, in the in the future. Yes. Um,
0: are there legal issues that GPs need to consider in these circumstances that are different?
1: Yes. Yeah, so absolutely, you need to be aware. So obviously, what we're aiming for, as we've talked about, is is you know, supported decision making where we're supporting someone to make their decision for themselves to proceed with a cervical screening test here today. But there may be situations, of course, where despite best practice and possibly a few visits, then the person is is assessed as not being able to to make that decision for for themselves. So what you do need to do in that case, you need to know about your local laws in your state and territory. Here it's um, in New South Wales on the NCAT website. That's that's excellent information uh, because then you need actually a substitute decision-maker. Now, for something like cervical screening, you know it's different if you're talking about a major procedure. But for something like cervical screening, um, that will generally well, it'll be the person responsible, and that's generally going to be well, it'll be the, the guardian, and that can often be a parent maybe a spouse it's not a paid carer but there will be that hierarchy and and if someone's accompanied and which they would be in that situation uh, by you know a person responsible then you can actually proceed as long as that that person is not objecting so that's the key thing sometimes with cervical screening of course it may not be possible to do it within the you know the, the general practice setting it may be uh, that this needs to be performed in a, in a hospital setting uh, and that you need to actually refer on. If, if someone objects, says no, then you can't do it. We're facilitating screening by people that actually with an intellectual disability who
0: make an informed
1: decision that this is something they want to have.
0: Thank you so much, Professor yeah. Bates, and thanks for spending some of your very precious time with us today.
1: That's a pleasure. Thank you very much. you've been listening to The Tea Room. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can search for us on your favourite podcast player and subscribe. Leave us a review if you like. And if you've got any news, tips, or just want to chat, you can email me at wendy at medicalrepublic.com.au. The Tea Room is a production from the journalists at the Medical Republic. Visit medicalrepublic.com.au to keep up to date with all the latest news and views in general practice. And while you're there, make sure you subscribe to our newsletters. We love to keep you informed. Thanks for tuning in.